Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. Let me start by blessing you, and why not, right? Uh, why not start with blessing? We want God to help you. We want God's breakthrough in your life, and so I'm going to start by blessing you. I bless you now in the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully today. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit today. I, I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need today. Whatever help from God you need. I bless you to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're experiencing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace, whatever's going on. I bless you with that in the name of Jesus. May it be. Amen. Amen. Today we are back for part three of our Moses series. We had a little bit of a break, so maybe I'll call this Moses part three, part two. <laughs> Something like that. If you're new here or are visiting or don't remember anything I ever say, welcome to the club. And uh, the, basic, the basic sense of where we're at with our Moses series is in part one, we covered the time from between Moses when Moses was born until they flee through, escape through the Red Sea. That was part one. Part two was their time at um, Mount Sinai, is what it's called. We spent a whole unit there. I, I should remember that. Yeah, at Mount Sinai. And now at part three here, we are going from Mount Sinai to the promised land. And so we've got a map here from, from early in our series. Welcome back, everybody. Maps, right? So uh, we got the, the first map here of moving to, yes, from Mount Sinai to the wilderness of Paran. They go, they go up there, and then they spy out the land. Uh, the spies go into the land. They see that it's great, but the people are in highly fortified cities. They're bigger, stronger, tougher, better looking. It doesn't say better looking, but that sort of thing. And they come back, and they, they freak out, and they want to go back to Egypt. God's very upset at their, at their response there, and he wants to wipe out the nation. It's a holiness moment. It's a holiness moment. Sometimes we think of God's holiness as, wow, so amazing. Sometimes God's holiness is in a pure and fearful way. And he demonstrates his holiness at that moment by saying, you, your generation is not going to go into the land. And instead, you're going to be wandering in the wilderness for the next 40 years until the next generation grows up. It's, it's a holiness moment. And so they name the place Holy Place, Kadesh. They name it Kadesh. Now, we, we talked a little bit about where Kadesh might be, and we, we showed this map here of, of the different Kadeshians places or whatever, and we talked about how probably they're spying out the land from the blue or red Kadesh areas, but there might be more than one Kadesh. In fact, there's likely more than one Kadesh. Kadesh means holy place. Uh, it's where significant holy events take place, where God, in this sense, brings his judgment. They've also had two places that they have named Meribah, where they quarreled, where they quarreled with God. And so two different places get named 
Meribah, one in Saudi Arabia, one in this area. And so we know, that's not an uncommon thing for them to name a place like that. There seems to be two different Kadishes, but if there is only one Kadish, it has to be at the green place. If there's only one, it has to be there. I think that there's more than one. I think there's two at least. But if there's only one, it has to be at the green place because we're going to be looking at the story today of the making of the bronze serpent on a pole. And it's gonna, the story's going to be flowing from our last look at the Moses series where um, God's people were gathered and they were... Um, they, they, Moses struck the rock. He struck the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. That was also in this place called Kadesh. And because Moses struck the rock, God's holiness was demonstrated via his discipline again. And Moses and Aaron have been told they're not going to be able to enter the promised land. So that's kind of a recap of where we are at. Now, before we get to the bronze serpent story, there's three quick stories that take place, and I want to hit them real quickly because they kind of set up a little bit more of the context for the bronze serpent story. The first one, it seems a little simple, but it it has an effect. And so I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 20, starting at verse 14, and again, this is is the next verse after the, the striking the rock, Moses and Aaron, you can't go into the land passage. Numbers 20, verse 14. It says, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. They're very close by. This is what your brother Israel says. You know all the hardships that have overtaken us. Our our ancestors went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt many years. But the Egyptians treated us and our ancestors badly. That is an understatement. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our plea and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now look, we are in Kadesh, a city on the border of your territory. So we have to be on the border of Edom. Please let us travel through your land. We won't travel through any field or vineyard or drink any well water. We will travel the king's highway. That is a very specific highway. It's still called the king's highway to this day. It is, it, it's always been called the king's highway. We'll travel the king's highway. We won't turn to the right or the left until we have traveled through your territory. But Edom answered him, you will not travel through our land or we will come out and confront you with the sword. They don't leave it there. They push back because this is kind of a big deal. We will go on the main road. The Israelites replied to them, and if we or our herds drink your water, we will pay its price. There will be no problem. Only let us travel through on foot. Yet Edom insisted, you may not travel through. And they came out to confront them with a large force of heavily armed people. Edom refused to allow Israel to travel through their territory, and Israel turned away from them. Okay, so this, let's look at a map. Because this is, this is basically what's going on here. So we are at a place called Petra. Petra means rock. It's the place where it was assumed that Moses struck the rock and water poured out. So they're at this place. They've called it Kadesh. And they want to go up the king's highway. And that's the purple line through the land of Edom. It's not like it's a, a weird request. All the caravans in this area go up there. This is like the main north-south road. It is it's the, the very, um, very public multi-empire road. This isn't like a special private road. It's, it's, it's a main road here. It goes through the land. 
Okay, so they, they want to go up there. This purple road is by far the easiest, safest, fastest, and best way to get to where they're going. And there should be no problem. Everybody uses this road. This is, this is just the, the way it is. It would just be so great, based on where they are, to just go up the, the public main interstate, basically, the, the, the main uh, international road here. But Edom says no. And so they have to take a very different path that they know is way bad. That's why they push back. They know that going on this next road is, is really bad news. But it's their only option. And so uh, it's more dangerous, it's more awful, it's more slow, it's more everything. And then we, so that's the setup. And then the next story that we were skimming through is, is following that. It says, after they set out from Kadesh... The entire Israelite community came to Mount Hor. The, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom. So we are still very, 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 very close to um, Kadesh. Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I have given the Israelites because both, you both rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eliezer and bring them up Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eliezer. Aaron will be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they climbed Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. After Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eliezer, Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. When the whole community saw that Aaron had passed away, the entire house of Israel mourned for him 30 days. Here's a picture of the mountain. It's called today Jabal Heron or Mount Aaron. Uh, it's, it's, you can see it from Petra. You can, it's just, it's, it's the mountain between here and the, and the Rift Valley. It's very, 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 very likely the place. As you can't see on the top, there's a little hut up there, that little, little shrine, uh, Aaron's shrine. It's been thought to be the place for a, a long time. Uh, so anyways, that's that's the mountain there. I want to look at the map, though, so you can see where it is on the way out. So they're, if they're at the Petra Green Circle area, they're heading back to the Rift Valley. Whether they're taking the blue line, like I said, or maybe that southern road, which might be a little bit easier, but they're, they're going the same way. They're swooping up. Um, that's where Mount Aaron is, or Jabal Huron. Uh, you can see I underlined Wadi Musa. There's just a strong tradition that this is where the people were for a long period of time. Wadi Musa would have been where they believed the rock was struck and water came out and maybe where Miriam died, all in this, all in this area right here around Kedah. She died in the same story as the striking of the rock story. So that, that's, they're kind of leaving this area and heading back down to the Rift Valley and, and heading up. Now, when they do this, this triggers the king of uh, Arad. Arad is like the mighty city of the south of what will become Israel. It's the mighty fortress gateway city. It's, it's the strong one. And when they see that Israel is coming back their direction, they, they go to war. They're, they go to fight them. Um, Edom didn't want them going that way. There's, they, they've been there for 40 years, and everybody knows, like, we don't want these people around. So they couldn't go to Edom, and then they, they really couldn't go this way and they, because the king of Arad comes out to, to fight them. Now they pray to God, and God rescues them, but this is not a happy path that they're going. 
They knew that this was a path they didn't want to go on, and there's, there's a battle there. After that battle and, and God's answered prayer, that we finally get to our story. But those things have happened on the journey here. And here's what we want to look at today. Verse, uh, verse 4 of Numbers 21. It says, They set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. Map. I mean, I'm just catching you up. Map time. Map time. Okay. I've placed a red X on the exact location where this story takes place. Most of the, most of the events during the 40 years of water, we don't know where they took place. We can make guesses. But, but this one, we, we do know exactly where it took place. Uh, it's, it's marked on the map at a place called uh, Fenan Canyon, it says there, or Wadi Fenan. It's just right at the end of the Dana Wadi or Wadi Dana. A couple pictures of what this area looks like. So the top's a Google Earth image, top left, and I kind of put in, the, uh, drew the water line where the water flows there. You can see it, but I wanted you to see it better. I put a red X on there. I don't know why. I'm, I'm sorry about the red X. The red X, ignore that. That's just for fun. Just for fun, why not? While I'm drying, why not put red Xs? The top, the top right, the bottom left, are kind of just what the area looks like. And the bottom right is the danger. The bottom right is the danger. I, I don't even want to look at it. I don't, like, I don't like snakes. In this area, there are lots of these vipers. There's lots of these vipers. A saw-scaled viper. Saw-scaled viper. And what you need to know about saw-scaled vipers are, they are very poisonous, and which means you know, the venom that you get bit, the venom breaks down the red blood cells and the, the vessel network and causing internal bleeding, hemorrhages, you know, all that kind of stuff, and, and often death. But this is not the most poisonous of all the snakes out there. It's not the most poisonous. But according to scientists, so it must be true, <laughs> No, uh, but anyways, according to scientists, they believe that this snake, the, the saw-scaled viper, is responsible for more human deaths than all other snake species combined. Goody. They're going right to this area. The, scientists believe that this viper is, is responsible for more human deaths than all other snake species combined. And I had to read that line a couple times. Combined. Combined. Why? Because it's aggressive. It bites early and often. It's just, it's just quick. It's quick to attack. It's quick early and often. So, here we are going up the blue road, a road that they don't want to be on, a one that they knew wasn't a good road, that they knew it wasn't great, uh, it was definitely not where they wanted to go. They are now camping with aggressive, the world's most aggressive vipers. Many people getting bit and dying. 
Apparently, they thought it was a good moment to complain. It wasn't. Never is. And then we read this. What happens? So the people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. He doesn't, by the way. But uh, intercede with the Lord that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, whose idea? The Lord's idea. And what does the Lord say? Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. That's what God says. So Moses made a bronze snake. Whose idea was what? Moses' idea was to make it out of bronze. God didn't say what to make it out of. He just said make it. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. Whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake, and he looked at the bronze snake, he recovered. Okay, so there's a lot of these vipers in the canyon, but there's also something very significant to, to the story as well. Here's some pictures of it. Copper mines. Copper mines everywhere. This is, this canyon happens to be the world's oldest and largest copper mine. You can see copper slag everywhere, like the refinery where they refine some is the copper here. Um, copper is prime, the primary ingredient when it comes to bronze. Uh, you, you mix in some tin, a bit of tin, but it's primarily copper. And, and so you see, it's like Moses is there, and, and he's got to make us, what's around here? Well, let's get some of this. This copper mine had been going on for a millennium at this point. So you got, let's take some of this, let's make, make it out of bronze. It's right here. It's right in front of us. I, I marvel at the details in the Bible, things that you would just, you just wouldn't make that up. And, and if you were, you just like, oh, let's make it out of bronze and, and all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. It's amazing that not only are the stories of the Bible true, the messages of the Bible true, but the details of the Bible. So precise and, and, and accurate. But the reason I want to look at this story is because Jesus makes a big deal of this story. Jesus talks about this story. In fact, he com- he wants, when he wants to explain the gospel, when he wants to explain what he's going to do on the cross, he points to this moment of Moses making this this bronze serpent. And he's like, this helps you understand what I'm going to be doing on the cross. In fact, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Referring to the time when he's lifted up on the cross. So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him or looks to him may have eternal life. Not just live and not die, but have eternal life. There's this connection there that Jesus clearly sees and he wants to make sure that we understand when it comes to this snake on the, on the pole and what, what he's going to be doing. And so let's think through what Jesus was seeing in this story and, and what he wanted to communicate. What is, what is so accurate about what he has done for us on the cross. In Moses' day, the people have sinned. They've grumbled against God and God's plan for their life. 
They've grumbled against God. Why did they grumble against God? Because God wasn't moving them to their future fast enough. Impatience. God wasn't getting them fast enough to where they wanted to go. How's your patience with God these days? How's your God patience in your life? How, how's your heart feel when it comes to patience with, with God? Are you, in the moment, are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling frustrated that God isn't answering your prayers fast enough? Are, are you feeling frustrated that He isn't unblocking things that are in your way fast enough? Maybe there's a relationship that's not coming together fast enough or things aren't happening fast enough or God isn't, isn't just doing anything fast enough for you. And, and you're like, oh, you're so frustrated. Impatience is a dangerous environment for your soul when it comes to you and your relationship with God. Bad things can happen when you're impatient. Patience is what trusting God looks like, though. You get, like, do I trust God? Do I have patience? Those are connected. Those are connected. One of my life verses that I, I continue to try and bombard my heart with, not, I'm definitely not perfect in this area at all. Ask my mom, right? Uh, she will tell you about my, my patience challenges. God says, or the psalmist says, my times are in your hands. Talking to God. My times are in your hands. The timings of my life. The timings of your life are in God's hands. The, the, the timings of your answered prayers are in God's hands. The timings of your next step, the next seasons of your life, the next, the next eras of your life are in God's hands. Impatience with God is, is a dangerous environment. It's a dangerous environment. If you're feeling frustrated, angry, even, with God, that things aren't happening for you fast enough, I, I challenge you, I encourage you to keep fighting and battling for peace. Battle for peace, for trust. Keep praying for breakthrough. Act in faith in way, ways you can act in faith, but also battle for peace and patience. Food of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Battle for those today. And I guess I, I think it's worth observing that God is in the process of answering their prayer right now. Like, they're only months away, maybe 24 months away from being in the promised land. They are so close. They are on the way. The, the path that they're walking currently is taking them right to where they're going to be going, Jericho. They're, 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 they're heading there. There's going to be a couple battles. There's going to be a few events between here and there. We're going to talk about the next couple of weeks. But they are on their way. They are very close to their, their prayers being answered. And some of you are too. You may not feel like you are. You may feel frustrated. You may feel like things aren't happening fast enough. But some of you are very close to getting your, your prayers answered. I also notice here that this nation was kind of going away from where they wanted to go. They, they couldn't go on the purple road. They wanted to go the, the purple road, but instead they take the blue road, which meant that they felt like they were going away from God, another setback, another delay, another frustration. Maybe it doesn't make sense why every other nation can use the purple road. Why can't we use the purple road? This is ridiculous, and, and here we are going away from where we want to go. I don't know if some of you are feeling like you're frustrated by another delay, another sense of going backwards. 
Sometimes the backwards way, the more dangerous way, the more challenging way, the least pleasant way is the best way forward. Sometimes it's just the best way forward. And you got to trust Jesus on that one. One time I was wrestling with God in prayer. Okay, often I'm wrestling with God. One, time, one particular time I was wrestling God with prayer and I was frustrated at a situation and I, and, I, and I looked at it with my eyes and I'm like, God, I think you've spoken about this and you've said, you said that this is coming, but I, when I look with my eyes, it looks like it's going. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. God, you, I think you're, you're wanting me to do this, but instead, this is what I'm seeing with my eyes. And I'm battling with this because it, it, it seems like everything's falling apart at the moment. And uh, not at this, but yeah, it felt like that. And, and God said, okay, let's think about the ocean. And, and I was picturing myself standing there at the ocean, and he's like, Brian, it's like this. Sometimes you look out there, and you see the wave pulling back. But the tide's still coming in. And you look with your eyes, and it's, it's going away from you. But the tide's still coming in. And it's just part of the process. So don't freak out. Don't freak out. One of God's common words to me. Don't freak out. The tide's still coming in. Today's back steps, though, they don't mess up tomorrow's breakthrough. Okay, anyway, so they're impatient. They sinned. God sends uh, poisonous snakes. And then what do, they do? what do they do? In verse 7, they admitted their sin. They admitted their sin. They said, we have sinned by, specifically, speaking against the Lord and against you, Moses. We've, this is how we, we've sinned against the Lord and we've sinned against the Lord. How are we doing at owning our errors? How are you at owning your mistakes? I, I, I hope that we're quick at it. I know it's no fun at all. I know. I know it's no fun at all to admit when you're wrong or you've messed up or when you've lied or when you've deceived or whatever. It takes humility. It's very humbling. It, it can be just an awful, an awful moment. But the fastest and most powerful way to fix broken relationships between you and God, between you and people, is to be quick to own your errors, to be quick to own your mistakes. This nation does that, and they admit their sin to God, and they admit their sin to Moses, and what happens? Well, it moves both God and Moses to action. It moves both of them to do something. First, Moses, he starts praying and interceding for God to have mercy on these people. When I think of some of the most godly people in the Old Testament, they do something that I don't see done in our generation, which we're missing, and this is important. Job, Abraham, Moses, they all have times where they've been sinned against, and then the people confess their sin, like Job's three friends or one of the people who had Sarah for a while as his wife. I can't remember which one it was. And then he, they're told after, after they confess that sin to then pray for them so that God will release mercy, basically. And I, and I don't want us to miss that step as a family. If people come to you and, and, for, and ask for forgiveness, yes, forgive them, but then also pray for them. Pray for them. And that process is what opens up the path for mercy for Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar in the book of Job, for the nation here, and for the people connected to um, the Abraham story, where I think their wombs open up again. 
Uh, so, so all that goes on there. But anyways, if, if someone sins against you, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. They admitted their sin, and then Moses prays for them, and then God opens up a path for mercy. Now, he doesn't take away the snakes. And the snakes don't stop biting people. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't happen like we, we would hope it would happen. But he opened up a path for mercy. by making. They made this snake. They stuck it on a pole. And that didn't, it's not like they just stuck the pole in the ground. This camp is now cleansed. No, this, it was there, but still the people, if they wanted to live, had to look at it. It, did, it didn't just have to be existing and present and real and true. They had to look at it to be healed. And that's why you can see Jesus is pointing to this about himself and his story. Again, talking to Nicodemus, he says, Just as Moses lifted the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, Jesus, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The good news of the Bible, the central message in the Bible is Jesus, just like that bronze snake being lifted up in the wilderness, Jesus was lifted up on a Roman cross and crucified for the sins of humanity and Everyone who looks to Jesus, we can't just rest on the fact that it happened, but everyone who looks to Jesus, who looks to the cross, will be forgiven and saved. We're not as evil, I get this, as it is possible to be, but we still mess up, all of us. I definitely do. And we all need mercy, I definitely do. We all need mercy. We still blow it. We need forgiveness. All of us need to look to Jesus and, and be forgiven. Now, some of you, well, let's start with those who've never looked to Jesus before. You've never given your life to Jesus. Uh, the, maybe this is new, but let me make the message of the Bible simple to you. It is it as simple as Jesus, Jesus. And if you need to be forgiven, and you do, and you, and you need to turn to God, what do you do? Well, just like this story we read in the Exodus, you need to confess your sin to Jesus, own your stuff, and you need to look to Jesus on the cross. And, you, and maybe pray something like this, God, I look to you, I look to Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, I look to Jesus to make this wrong, everything that's wrong right, forgive me, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give my life to Jesus. But yeah, that's what it takes. If you want to receive the forgiveness of sin, you've got to look to Jesus for life. That's true when you, the day you became a Christian. It's also the true, true 10,000 days later. Maybe some of you, you look at the situation in your life and, and it's a bit off. And you've made mistakes. And you're, you're mortified by your mistakes. And you, and you think, how could God love me right now? How could there be much 
connection here. How do I get my life back on track? I'm so off track. My behavior's off track. My decision makes is off track. I feel so off track. How do I get back on track? It's the same. You look to Jesus. You look to Jesus on day one. You always look to Jesus. That's the way to get back on track. And you will find if you look to Jesus and you confess your sins, he will open up your door for mercy. Day one, day eternity. Confess and look to Jesus and let that grace flow back in your life. I say this all the time. Reawakening begins here. And that life, that, 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 that sense of like a feeling closeness and freshness to God, it begins here and it begins by confessing your sins and looking to Jesus. That begins your path to reawakening. So the challenge today is very simple. And yet I believe it's life-changing and pivotal for every one of us. Challenge is this. Number one, what do you need to humbly confess to Jesus today as you seek his mercy? Do that. And number two, this is awesome. What do you need to humbly confess to someone you've sinned against? Do it and seek to make things right. It's life-changing stuff. Let me pray for us, but I'm going to pause and let you simmer on that. Jesus, is there somebody we need to ask forgiveness of? Jesus, is there anything I need to make right with you today? God, I ask that you would grant a spirit of righteous boldness over this room where people would get past their fear. We'd all get past our fear and our pride and our shame. And we would take the steps to confess what we need to step, to confess and make things right. That reawakening would return. It would begin here. Begin now. Father, we love you and we, we look to you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.